0: mini break. Your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, April 18th. On today's show, I want to prepare all of you listeners for the week ahead by running you through the countless storylines you should be monitoring at our four tour level events. Of course, one of the events is an event I like to call the ceremonial start of each WTA clay court season. That event, of course, is the 500 level action we have going on in Stuttgart. And I know we've already seen a top 10 clay court final in Charleston between Anjabur and Belinda Bencic. We had really fun action in Bogota on the red clay in South America that week as well. But this event in Stuttgart sees 19 of the current top 26 players in the WTA singles rankings competing this week. You have top 60 players like Petra Martic, Alicia Parks, Linda Fruvertova. They all had to come through qualifying just to attempt to get into the main draw. And that's why I allude to this event as the ceremonial start. Because, yeah, we saw a lot of really good players in Charleston. Part of that is the convenience of traveling directly from Miami to Charleston. It's got to be less than a two-hour flight. You're going to get really good matches in. And perhaps most importantly, I know Ben Navarro and the team at Charleston do as good of a job as anyone in accommodating the players, making them comfortable, helping them enjoy what is beautiful scenery throughout the city of Charleston. But that's not Stuttgart. Stuttgart, of course, again, 19 of the top 26 players in the world. What was the final last year? I want to say it was Ega versus Sabalenka. I think the year before that, was it Barty versus Sabalenka? I remember either Barty played Sabalenka and Ega played someone else in last year's final. The point is... The finals these past two years at Stuttgart have been exceptional. It's one of those rare, if not the only indoor clay court event we have on the tour level schedule, male or female, men's or women's side. I'm pretty sure Stuttgart is your only indoor clay court event. As such, it's fascinating, and again, there are so many different storylines to monitor throughout the course of the week in Stuttgart. You have 19 of the top 26 in the world, and I want to get into all of those storylines here on today's show. It's going to be a rapid-fire pace sort of podcast, as again, I want to set the tone here. There's so much going on. You don't just have that action in Stuttgart. You've got three tour-level events happening on the men's side as well. You've got world number one, Novak Djokovic in play, world number two, Carlos Alcaraz in play. In fact, Eight of the top 10 players and 10 of the top 12 all in action throughout the course of this week. The only ones missing are Daniil Medvedev, who I think it's fair to say has played enough tennis, not for a lifetime, but for a well-deserved week off. And I believe looking on social media, I think his daughter, this is where my Judaism is going to hurt me in translating what's going on. Is it a christening? I don't know exactly what they're doing, but there's some sort of ceremonial I don't know if it's a baptism because I don't think Daniel Medvedev is Baptist. I don't I don't know the percentage of Baptists in Russia, but I think it's more of an Orthodox church uh, than a Baptist church. Anyways, something honoring his daughter. It would, the photos were lovely to see Rublev there, Hatchnov there, so many of Medvedev's closest friends there to support him. I mean, how could you not like to see tennis camaraderie translate off the court in a ceremony like that? But of course, again... I think we've seen enough to Neil Medvedev. Although we want to see about more frequently, so I would fine with him playing more. But you know, you play thirty matches in a in an eight week span. More than thirty, might have played. Well, no, about thirty matches in an eight week span, week after week. You know, he's worked his way up to number three in the world. He really has no points to defend. He is literally the furthest thing from a storyline I anticipated I would be discussing here on today's show. But again, that speaks to the rapid-fire nature of this podcast. I want to jump all over the place. Eight of the top ten in the world – you know, 10 of the top 12 all in action. In fact, you go beyond that, you've got, let's see, one, two, three, 16 of the top 21 players in the world. They're all in action, spread out between our 500-level event in Barcelona. You've got 250s in Munich, in Banja Luka as well, which I believe, I did the research, it is in Bosnia. I was correct. Shout out to my geographical instincts, to those of you who listened to the ending of yesterday's show. But yeah, yeah. That's a lot on the board. What should you be watching? Because you don't have time to follow all four. That's what you listen here to find out where you can maximize your tennis attention. I got you covered. I want to give you the rundown. The biggest storylines to monitor throughout the course of the week. Yes, I'll mix in some brief analysis of some of the matches we've seen unfold already. But again... On today's show, 30,000-foot view. What's happening this week? What should you be watching for? Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Winter's turning into spring. Spring will quickly become summer. Are you properly outfitted? Do you have new shoes as you make the transition from indoor to outdoor courts? Do you have new shoes as perhaps you personally make a transition from hard courts to more green clay or maybe you live somewhere where red clay is openly available? You have the clothing you need. If you're going to play on clay, I'll tell you what, those socks are going to get dirty real quick. Shirts, shorts, you're just going to need an abundance of clothing available because I'll tell you what, the hotter it gets, the sweatier you're going to get on court as well. Maybe you do, like me, need to bring some clothes to change into right away just so that the person who drives you to the court will be willing to let you back in their car so that they can give you that ride back home. Anyways, (laughs) all of your equipment, anything you need. Best equipment, best prices, one location, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's start with, again, the WTA 500 in Stuttgart. This is unequivocally the best action we have on the calendar this week. You have world number one Iga Swiatek, who, as a reminder, how many matches did Iga Swiatek lose during the formal portion? I'm not talking about the Warsaw match against Caroline Garcia. I'm talking March through the French Open, how many clay court matches did Iga Swiatek lose last season? If you don't have the answer now, I'll, I'll give you two more seconds to guess. All right, I, I can tell you. The answer is zero. It was a goose egg. She lost no matches during the 2022 clay court season. And for those of you who remember it as, I suppose, vividly as I do, let's be clear. She lost two sets during the course of the March to May, their March to June clay court season. Those two sets... Indoors in Stuttgart to a Ludmilla Samsonova who not only lost, but lost pretty handily in her first round match to Barbara Krachikova six-two-six love today. I was watching that one live and you can just see Samsonova. Stro- I mean, look, we've always talked about the streakiness of Ludmilla Samsonova as good as she was in winning, what, like 24 out of twenty-five uh, six matches during that stretch from the start of DC through the end of Tokyo, really, last season. Yeah, what was her one loss? From Washington through the end of Tokyo, she lost one match to Ila Tamjanovic. She was something like, yeah, like 22-1 and 1 or something crazy like that. Obviously, she made a final in Abu Dhabi where she beat Krejcikova, beat Kudermatova, beat Jung Chin Wen earlier this season. She's now lost four of her last five. And, you know, again, some of those losses, Iga, Krejcikova, Three sets to Jung Chin Wen in a match where she won the first set and God, she should have gotten off the court in straight sets, but was unable to do so. I don't know how this turned into a Samsonova rant when talking about world number uh, the number one seed Ika Swiatek, but again, it speaks to indoor clay, quick surface, uh, you know, quicker surface, controllable. Uh, easy to control the controllables, excuse me, on these indoor courts, particularly the service toss isn't going to be wandering everywhere. The fitness is a little bit easier when you don't have to deal with the outdoor conditions. Indoor tennis is just, you know, again, it's, it's. uh, what's the term? The weather is controlled, right? Biometrically controlled area. That's not the right word to use, but you understand the sentiment I'm expressing. Look, Samsonova, despite having a streak where she won 22 of 23 matches, she's 32 and 19. Over her last 52 weeks, which means there's also a stretch where she's 10 and 18, you know, sampled in between that unbelievable run. And I think when you watch Ludmila Samsonova again, it's so first strike centric. She's so reliant on being on her front foot, on being able to dictate from inside the baseline, being able to step in with her backhand, take it down the line when she has time available to her. Krejcikova took all that time away with her depth, with her pace. Now it didn't help that Samsonova made. of her first serves in this match. And it just felt like she was pressing with that serve because of how well Kretschikova was striking the return. But this is also a firm reminder that Barbara Kretschikova is a former French Open champion, that she's clearly back to playing her best tennis. Then we've talked about this frequently here throughout the course of 2023. She at her best right now, her best is the fourth best in the world. You know, in any order you want to put it, I still think Iga's best is the best, particularly on clay courts. I go Sabalenka and Rabaka to my next two. I think you have to go Kretchikova over Pagula for whose best is fourth best right now, if that's the conversation. But 2-0 and o for Krejcikova, again, was just on top of every Samsonova serve. The depth she's able to generate, forehand return, backhand return, the angles she's able to find, how comfortable she is sliding into the ball as a mover on this surface. And you could tell, you know, Samsonova's pretty fluid. I mean, Samsonova's a great athlete. For her size... I don't think movement is an issue, but you could just tell her body was all over the place. You know, again, she couldn't calibrate her ground strokes effectively because Krejcikova took so much time away from her. I warned you that there was going to be a little bit of analysis sprinkled into what is, again, a 30,000 foot view podcast. God, Kretchikova was good. And I'll tell you what, you know, the framing of the tweets, tired versus wired, you know, the wired take is that Sam Sabalenka and Kretchikova are playing again here to start this season. They've obviously played five times in the career head-to-head. You look for Rina Sabalenka. She beat Kretchikova in Miami. She beat Kretchikova in Indian Wells. She lost to Kretchikova in Dubai. It's going to be the fourth straight event where Rina Sabalenka plays Barbara Kretchikova. Fourth straight. Does it always have to be in the round of 16? Can we not find a world, and look, again, this speaks to the fact 19 of the top 26 players are in the draw here this week in Stuttgart. Barbara Krejcikova, who right now, in the WTA live rankings, 12th in the live rankings. She is unseated. I mean, you go back. I think 500-level draws are better than 1,000-level draws on the WTA side. There's a hot take for you because go back and look at San Diego last year, which was a 500-level event. Look at this event. Look at Ostrava at the end of last season. Everyone plays the 500s, and honestly, because everyone plays them, they box out the 36th player in the world. they the 42nd player in the world get boxed out of these 500-level draws because they're smaller and so many of the top players in the world monopolize the spots because they want the points because it's so competitive right now because there is so much parity because the margins are so thin at the top of the women's game. You do feel an impetus to play every week to try and stay alive in that chase. That's the biggest storyline when you look at Stuttgart from the 30,000-foot view. If you're going to follow any event day in, day out and monitor every second of results – you're just not going to be disappointed if you choose Stuttgart as the event to do that with this week. And, I mean, again, biggest question how healthy is Iga? Coming off of the rib injuries, the sunshine swing, she obviously didn't play Miami, loses points. So, you know, I say this in a mocking tone the gap has narrowed between her and Arena Sapalanka. She's still 81 points shy of, or uh, just, so what? A thousand nine hundred nineteen points. Ah, it's not a palindrome because that would have to be one nine nine one, but one nine one nine is almost a palindrome. Uh, that's how much she still is ahead of Arena Sabalenka. Shout out to palindrum, Shout out to second grade when they were in. They were all the rage, I suppose, in elementary school. Anyways, um, look, how healthy is Iga? How fit is she? Mathematically, she's still better than everyone else. Analytically, I, I mean, again, I test wise. She's only lost to players who have had weapons to blitz her with. And I'll tell you what, again, Iga Shvantec lost two sets in the clay court season last year. She's taken on a Jung Chin Wen, who, let's be clear, Jung Chin Wen also was not healthy throughout the course of the clay court swing, uh, excuse me, of the Sunshine Swing. And, you know, as such, we only got to see her play one event. And in that event, she beats Samsonova, beats Bagu, gets knocked out by Potapova, I think, coming into the year. You know, again, you look for her so far this season. She's had to play a lot of qualifying, but for Jung Wen, Losses to Azarenka, quarterfinals Adelaide. Kvitova, round of 16 Adelaide. She had to play Potapova in qualifying of that event. Joke. Loses to Para, second round A.O. That's probably her only bad loss of the season. You look at the other losses. Samsonova, three sets Abu Dhabi. Sakari, three sets the next week in Doha. Has to withdraw in Dubai. Uh, against Samsonova, wasn't able to play Indian Wells subsequently. Four and six to Potapova in Miami. Like, Junction has been pretty good this year. For what it's worth, she's holding serve 79.5% of the time. I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you hold over 80% of the time in the women's game, that's the elite club. Right now, there are three players who are holding over 80% of the time. You can guess them right away. Sabalenka, Rabakina, Caroline Garcia. Yeah, those are the three biggest servers, the three most dominant front foot players, you know, the definitive power tennis, I would say right now. It makes sense. And you know, again, that eighty percent club, the only people I've seen hang in it for a full season, Naomi Osaka at her in her best and Serena Williams at her best. Those are the only two who can go over eighty percent for a full year. Now I think Sabalenka, Rabakina, as members of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, I think they're gonna put together eighty percent hold percentage seasons at some point in their career. I also think Junction Wen's gonna do that. You see the weaponry, the athleticism, how good she is as a mover. I think I think she could win this Stuttgart event. Like if she beats Iga, she might be my favorite to win this Stuttgart event because these high bouncing clay courts. A, they give her a little bit more time. B, she's tall. She's what five ten. 5'9", 5'10", and that ball like gets a little bit up for her. I think that helps her, particularly on the forehand wing where the backswing still has a lot of moving parts. I think she drives through her backhand so easily, but putting that ball a little bit higher in her strike zone certainly going to help her. Again, she is an elite, twitchy sort of athlete. You saw her take this out off of Iga. Her power on this surface, dealing with the heaviness of her ball, the depth she's able to consistently generate, the fact that if she hits behind you, you're in a lot of trouble just because... She hits a heavy ball, and it's that much harder to change direction on clay. I mean, we saw it last year at at the French Open. And look, it's her first clay court event of the year. She beats Alicia Parks 4-4, four and four, which indoors, you know, again, yes, Parks has really struggled of late. Uh, but indoors, Parks has always had success, and I know it's an indoor clay court still. That Parks serve indoor is going to be difficult to deal with. And yet Jung Chin-Wen gets one break in set one, one break in set two. She's able to win four and four. She takes on Iga in the round of 16. I mean, what's the better match? Iga Chinwen, which was a three-setter at Roland Garros, or Sabalenka Krejcikova, matchup number four of the year? I don't know, man, but I'll tell you what. That Sabalenka quarter of the draw, she's like, what do I have to do to get a break because... She beats Krejcikova. Guess who match number two of the clay court season would be for Sabalenka? She goes from facing 2021 French Open champ Barbara Krejcikova to former top 10 player. I believe Badosa made the French Open quarterfinals. Never passed that round. But Paula freaking Badosa, former top 10 player in the world, an Indian Wells champion who is just so clearly healthy, so clearly fit once again. And with all due respect to Daria Kasakina, Kasakina just did not have the weapons to hang uh, with Uh, to hang with Bedosa, in my opinion, in in their first round battle. And, you know, again, it's a credit to Paula Bedosa. She won and won Kasichina. Like, just everything was in rhythm. And again, Kasichina wants to find the angles. Kasichina wants you to get a little slap happy, wants to break your rhythm, wants you to get frustrated and try to force things. At no point did Bedosa do that. Like, one and one, former world number two. Look, if she's going to continue to play this well, I'm sorry. You're just—and she's going to be seated at the French Open. I I just it's an eye test thing. She's so playing so much better than she did to end last season, so much better than she did to start this season. I I just it's a fitness thing because for Bedosa that's the key is that she is a good athlete. She is twitchy. If she has time, she can drive through the court. Even if her instinctual base is probably to play a little bit more defensively, and yet Casquina could hurt her. She was sliding all over the court like she was on ice skates and fluid. Again. Bedosa, very winnable match against Bucsa in the round of 16, plays the winner of Krejcikova, Sabalenka. There's a gift in your quarterfinal. And again, everywhere in this draw. I think I've mentioned every section, but Donna Vekic into the round of 16 as Vekic gets a good win over Ekaterina Alexandrova, 7-6, 7-6. What awaits Vekic in the second round? Oh, just the winner of a first-round battle between eighth-seeded Maria Sakkari. And Carolina freaking Pliskova, that's a first-round match here in Stuttgart. You know, Anjabur, Charleston champion, French, uh, not French Open finalist, Wimbledon U.S. Open finalist, but Madrid champion last year, Rome champion, whichever one it was. Who does she get for her first match? Oh, just an elite, Yelena Ostapenko, who hit the cover off the ball, who could not have looked more comfortable in a 2-1 win over Emma Raducanu. I mean, even Haddad Maia, Trevisan, as a first-round match. Potapova seven-six in the third over Martic, and her athleticism looks really good on this surface. God, like it talk about a fun contrast if, or a, talk about a fun rematch if she does ultimately end up facing Coco Goff. But Golf first round, oh, you just get world number twelve, Veronica Kudermatova. I mean. I haven't even mentioned Rabakina, who's in that Ostapenko-Jabur section. She's got the big hitting Julie Nehemiah in round one indoors. That's a really fun battle, in my opinion. I'm all in. Here are the poker chips. All in on this Stuttgart event. And my premise is that it will be entertaining, that it will provide us some sort of framework. Not quite a full sample size, because for a lot of these players, it's still within their first 10 clay court matches of the season. But Stuttgart is where we really get going from a WTA analysis perspective on the dirt. And so, again, if you're going to watch anything from start to finish this week, make it the action in Stuttgart. 19 of the top 26 players in the world. Iga, Sabalenka, Rabakina, I mean Krejcikova, Sabalenka, round of 16 again coming up. Iga Chinwen again coming up that doesn't get you excited, I certainly don't imagine you are still listening to this podcast at minute number 21. But since you, the listener near, made it to minute number 21, let's move over to our ATP side of things now. And I'm really going to rapid fire through these because, again, still sinking our teeth into the action. You watch everyone play one match. I don't know how definitive of a take I have about any of the players. We'll start with the 500 in Barcelona I mean, Carlos Alcaraz three and one over our guy, Nuno Borges. Uh, Borges just wasn't able. He's he's not as as much as he's worked on his athleticism. He's just not capable of lasting the pace Alcaraz brings and just rips him to the corners. He's still just not quite there yet physically in his corners. And God, did Carlito look good in match number one on the clay? Just his serve, his uh, his serve. Excuse me, the kick serve, first forehand ad side combination. It's just that much more potent on this surface. and uh, Like, again, he's already won a U.S. Open. I know there are people who think he's going to be really good because of his aggression, because of his go-for-broken attitude, because of his athleticism, because of how comfortable he is as a volleyer. I know plenty of people who are really high on his Wimbledon upside. And yet the foundation was established on clay. And just like, again, you imagine dealing with the heaviness of that forehand, hitting it out of a corner. What if he hits it behind you? How are you going to track that ball down? Ask Nuno Borges that question. Nuno Borges would be like, amen, brother. You don't have to tell me. Uh, again, Alcaraz through dominant in straight sets. You watch him closely this week. You watch Stefano Tsitsipas to see, you know, again, after a disappointing Monte Carlo level, a level in Monte Carlo. I know he's still working back from shoulder issue, but he's a French Open finalist. He's a Masters 1000 clay court champion. He's a guy you expect to see do a lot of damage, especially when he has a little bit more time on that backhand wing because I do think he's such a good mover on this surface. I said it already here during the clay court stretch. Even when he didn't play his best in Monte Carlo, he goes from being a good mover to an elite mover on this surface. Just the strength of his slide, the strength of his first step, the efficiency of his footwork, I like watching Cici pass on this surface, and I look forward to watching him throughout the course of the week. Of course, you know, again, there were some upsets so far. Emil Roussevori, really the only, uh, excuse me, only one upset so far. Still waiting for a bunch of the seeds to get rocking and rolling. You had Emil Roussevori knocking out Francis Tiafoe, six four six seven six four. Believe Tiafo was up a break four one in the third, or was it three one in the third? You all know my Roussevori thoughts, so I'm not going to rehash them here today. But his forehand is a legitimate weapon. And I've said it before. Emil Roussevori, Yannick center .85. And it's not quite as elite with the pace. It's not quite as fluid in the corners. It's not quite as daring throughout the course of the match. And the backhand's a little bit flatter. But I'll tell you what, Yannick center .85 is a top 50 player. And Emil Roussevori is certainly proving that point with his level here to start 2023. Disappointing result for Tiafo, particularly after winning his first, uh, winning the event, ATP event on the clay in Houston a couple of weeks ago. He was just prepared to rock and roll. A couple of seeds who have played, I mentioned Alcaraz, RBA's gotten a win. Davidovich Fokina, impressive 3-3 three and three win over Houston finalist Tomas martin very Tough day for the Houston winners and finals. Tough day for the Houston crowd, I suppose, in Barcelona. What else was significant? I mean, Ben Shelton got a win over Mackey, got two and six by Casper Rude. His serve is forehand. They're just going to win him points no matter where he is, but you can tell how uncomfortable he is, how every backhand it feels like he's reaching or he's stretching or he's got a slice because his footwork just aren't properly placed. It's a little bit of a fish out of the water, right? And that makes sense, given how few red clay court experiences Ben Shelton had had in his career. It's his first time in Europe, right, uh, of his career as well. You walk away with a couple of wins. You know, he wins a first-round match in Estoril. He wins a first-round match in Barcelona. It's not setting the world on fire, but it's how you sustain a top 50 ranking. It's how you build yourself to a place to where A, All those challenger points that he earned last summer, he doesn't have to worry about them because he earns enough first-round victories, plus that Australian Open quarterfinal in his back pocket to keep him inside the top 50. Again, for Ben Sheldon, these are all about first, first experiences, and any wins he can gather in this stretch, I mean, obviously he needs to earn some victories to sustain his rankings, but... Again, it's more about the experience right now, in my opinion, than the result. Just given, I know Ben what turns twenty one. I want to say in October, maybe twenty two, but I think twenty one. Yeah, because he's an 2 like my younger brother. Um, anyways, I it's like I, I'm just not concerned about the results right now. I, I I'm I'm more concerned about how it looks. Do I see a, a, a pathway for him moving forward on this surface? And he's just too athletic. His forehand's too heavy. And I actually think he has a little bit more time to swing through his forehand on this surface. He's a little too drop shot happy, as anyone would be the first time there on clay. Yeah, it's a good win for Casper, two and six, especially given Ben does is a lefty. He does have the sort of serve to kind of just keep picking on that Casper rude backhand as he did with much more success in set number two. But Casper was able to keep pace. And again, made that tiebreaker so physical. It was unpredictable in that breaker as well. I think he broke Shelton's rhythm. So that's a really good victory for him. But again, we're just dipping our toes into the Barcelona analysis. Still plenty more action to come right now. Of course, Carlos Alcarez, your favorite, 30.6% according to Tennis Abstract. Pass 207 Sinner, 16%. Kasparud, 12.3%. you have got guys like Demon, Dimitrov, Nori, Musetti, all getting ready to begin their tournaments as well. All that play coming tomorrow. Keep an eye on Denis Shapovalov. Of course, he's one of those guys. We said it's a make or break 2023. Thus far, it's been break. I would love to see a few makes coming for Denis Shapovalov here. But again, shout out to that. Shout out to our guy, Alexander Shevchenko, who we got the chance to sit down and speak with while in Phoenix. He's now a top 100 player. Makes a lot of sense. Big, hits a heavy ball, has a tennis player body. Like, again, he's one to keep an eye on. If he beats Demon Hour in their matchup tomorrow, it should shock no one, I suppose, would be the take I have for all of you. But that's everything for now in Barcelona. Uh, let's head over to Munich next. I mean, again, Holger's your one seed. Zverev's the three. You've got Fritz in action here this week. The big upset happening so far, Seppi Baez knocked out three and five by Oscar Ota. Now it's a particularly tough matchup just given the Ota serve gets on that Baez shoulder so quickly, but it's a couple of early round losses for Baez to start this 2023 clay court season. And Look, he was just lights out last year. He didn't have a bad loss on the clay last year. He's got a couple of interesting losses here to start his 2023 clay court season. So perhaps some of those hard court struggles have seeped in now. Just He's just not hitting his forehand as confidently. And again, Ota did a great job serving and volleying, not allowing Baez to dictate at all from the baseline. But I don't know. That was a surprising loss. Really, your only surprising loss of the day. I mean... I think we've got a bunch of fun battles coming up. Hanfin, you know, I love the game of the former USC All-American. His kick serve, his willingness to serve in volley, it'll make Holger Rune uncomfortable, no doubt about it. And, you know, again, the winner of that plays the winner of Christian Garin and Lorenzo Sinega, who are clearly two of the top 35 players, in my opinion, when healthy on clay courts. Zverev going to kick off his campaign in Munich against Chris O'Connell. He still won't let whatever happened last week with the Neil Medvedev go. Shout out to pettiness, who doesn't love drama. Former UVA All-American Alex Richard gets through qualifying, then earns a massive victory in round number one over the rising Jan-Leonard Struve. That's a huge win for the former UVA All-American. And now he's going to face a former NCAA singles champion in 2014. NCAA singles champion, former UCLA All-American Marcos Giron Karatsev through as a qualifier. He wins his first round match versus the wild card. Altmeyer. he'll take on Botick Vandesen. Schulp. you've got the big lefty, Hoosler. Got a good win in round number one. Three sets over Kyle Edmund who played better than I and seen him play in quite some time. I'll tell you what. Hoosler, big lefty. I know the clay court's never going to be his signature forte, but lefty with a big serve against the one-handed back end of Dominic Team. I'm in on that. The physicality of Fucevic, who survives in three sets over the talented young German Max Rayberg, who Max Rayberg would have made a great college tennis player. Just his swagger, how easy life is for him. Uh, easy the tennis part is for him, but he's just a little bit behind physically. Like College would have been perfect for Rayburg. Sadly, we're never going to get that pathway. But again, Fucevic Fritz, that's very fun. According to right now, Holger Runa, excuse me, Alex Zverev, 28% favorite to win the event. Runa, 21, uh, 21.7. Fritz, 22.1. It's because Zverev and Runa are on the same side of the draw that Fritz ends up in that second spot. I'll tell you what, that bottom half of the draw, if team can get through the lefty Hoosler. Why can't Dominic team make a final this week? This is the week in Munich. If it's going to come together for Dominic team, and slowly but surely it has gotten better, I think this is the week for a team to get the signature result, make a final in Munich. Of course, finally, in Bosnia, our final event, Banja Luka. I apologize if I am pronouncing that incorrectly. I will do more research prior to tomorrow's show, so I will say it properly for all of you. French teenager, Luka Van Asche, Continues his strong past six months of play, and for those of you who haven't been following what Van Asha's been doing, what Arthur Fee has been doing for Fee, it was the start of the season, now it's the 18-year-old, soon-to-be 19-year-old, born May 11th, same day as my best friend, shout-out Dustin Benuni, shout-out Luca Van Asha. Van Asha won a challenger at the end of February, won another one at the start of March, Played qualifying last week in Monte Carlo, lost three sets in final round qualifying, did get a win in Astro before getting knocked out by Davidovich Fokina in the round of 16. Vanasha's had a new career high, number 87 years old. And again, 18 years old. Here's the list of teenagers inside the ATP Top 100 Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Una, Luka Vanasha. Case. That class dismissed. Like, that's why you got to watch his matchup, if not for any other reason than to, now, if not just to watch and see how Novak Djokovic's level from Monte Carlo carries over into this week. But, I mean, come on. One of three teenagers who are top 100 right now on the ATP side. Of course, you've got Monte Carlo champion Andre Rublev in action. Again, it's still very early here this week. You had the upset Abdullah Shelby, the 19-year-old from Jordan might have been the first tour-level victory for any man from Jordan. And if so, congrats to Shelby, who I want to remind all of you, was a top junior in the world, went to Florida for the 2022 season, did not play in the Florida lineup come NCAAs, was on the bench for Florida last season. He's now 267 in the world. Watch college tennis, folks. I don't know what else to say. There's my pitch for you. But again, Abdullah Shelby probably your biggest win of the week. One in five over Elias Emer in round number one. Got a good win from Alexey Poprinn as well. The Australian seven six seven six over Talon Greek Spur. But again, still very early. Obviously, Djokovic forty four point three percent favor to win the event. Rublev thirty one point two percent. The next closest, Miamir Kecmanovic, the four seed at five point nine percent. Yeah, that's really everything that's happening this week on the ATP Tour. Again, we'll take deeper dives into some of the action, focus more on everything as you know more tennis unfolds throughout the course of the week. It's still very early, and again— Diagnostic for all of you, if you're going to watch one event from start to finish, try to catch every match, make it the WTA 500-level event in Stuttgart, 19 of the top 26 players in action, Sabalenka, Krejcikova, Chinwen, Sviantek, two of your many entertaining round of 16 matches, but more broadly... Four different events, so many storylines for all of us tennis fans to enjoy throughout the course of the week. And, of course, we will be back here tomorrow to keep all of you listeners up to date on everything that happens this week. Of course, if you're looking for updates on the college tennis world, the ATP Challenger Tour, who might the next Luka Vanasha be? Who might the next Abdullah Shelby be? You can find out all that information by tuning into our Great Shot podcast feed. If you want to hear from a Top 100 player, head on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed where I am joined by the latest addition to the WTA Top 100, Peyton Stearns, to talk about her pathway there and so much more. Again. We're rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets. As we know, it's our job to make sure you remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Of course, the only reason we're able to do that is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15, with all of that said, for the fantastic Daniel Westhoff, our super producer, for our friends at Tennis Point point and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone